I am Joan Osborne, and you are listening to the Rock Solid Podcast. Make me a deal and make it good for me. I won't get full of myself, I can't afford to be. This is small town music, this is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me in the Zoom room today to discuss her 14th album, Radio Waves, a collection of live, in-studio radio station recordings, please welcome Joan Osborne. Hi, Joan. Hi, how you doing? I'm good. Are you So uh, you're enjoying Southern California because it's nice today. It is very nice today. Yes. Uh, no earthquakes have been detected as far as I can tell. I'm uh, I'm situated on the East Coast most of the time. So it's, you know, it's like nine degrees and three feet of snow on the ground there. So this is a nice change for me. So you've got two shows down here, correct? You're in Malibu tomorrow night at the time That's of right. this recording. And tonight you're at the, is it called the Belly Up? Yeah, the Belly Up. This uh, a venue I've been to many, many times over the years. It's kind of a classic club and I've had many great shows over the years here. So I'm excited to be back. Who's on tour with you? Do you have a full band with you? No, we're we're as a we're working as a trio right now. Um, it is Keith Cotton on the keyboards and Jack Petrozelli on the guitar, and we each play a little bit of you know percussion and this and that. I play a little bit of guitar too, so it's a trio format. Um, and then we're also on a double bill with a band called the Weepies, uh, which they are like an acoustic duo. They've done a lot of music for. Um, for soundtracks and for TV shows and things like that, but they also perform live. And in fact, this is their farewell tour. So we're getting a lot of Weepies fans out as well as our fans too. It's a nice mix. Is there any crossover during the show? Do the Weepies come and play with you or do you play with the Weepies? Well, normally we would definitely do something like that, but because of the COVID bubble that we're having to travel in, each of us, um, we can't really do that. We don't even really see them very much backstage. It's, you know, we're waving to each other down the hallway with our masks and face shields on. So it's it's not like a normal tour where you would get to hang out and, uh, you know, and play some music with the with the other people. But, um, you know, we're happy to to be doing it kind of any way that we can make it happen right. is, is an OK way for us to do it right now. So masks on until you hit the stage. Yep. I even go out with my mask on and then take it off as I'm coming up to the microphone just to, I don't know, just to be thorough about the whole thing. Then you can hang it on your mic stand like you're Steven Tyler of Aerosmith. <laughs> like it's a scarf. Um, <laughs> uh, and then the audience fully masked. Yeah. Everyone is vaccinated um, and or tested uh, day of show and everyone is wearing masks and, um, you know, a lot of the shows have been sold out, but I, I guess people who have the tickets, uh, some people are deciding that they're going to stay home. So when that does happen, they will put space between uh, different groups of people and, you know, just just trying to make it happen whatever way we can. I mean, it's been, you know, uh, been since March of 2020 that all of our gigs sort of disappeared and we have tried to go back on the road and do this tour. I think this is the third time that we've tried it and it's always been pushed back or canceled. So we're just trying to, you know, make 
make it happen. And we're really, really appreciative to the audience members who are jumping through all these hoops to to come out and see the show. And, and uh, you know, without that, we wouldn't be able to do this. It's it's funny. I would uh, I would definitely come to the show in Malibu, but my kids don't want me to. And so it's hard. Mm-hmm. I can't go against their wishes. I have to set a good example. So they're like, I don't really think you should go, dad. So, yeah, you well, know, it's tough. I, I totally understand. I'm, you know, if I didn't, you know, I I love being out here, but there's certainly a lot of other musicians who decided that they, you know, right now is not the time for them to go back out again. And everybody's got their own reasons. And, and, you know, I certainly don't judge people for, for not coming or for not going out and playing, but for us, I mean, of course, there's the obvious thing of, we want to make music. This is what we do. We have to make a living and support ourselves and our families. But we also feel like, you know, live music, there's really nothing else like it. And people need that as individuals. I think people really are fed by it in in a way um, that is very important just for people's mental health and their happiness. And I also think that you know, in a time when we're so divided as a country, we need these kind of things where people in communities can get together and they're not looking at each other as, you know, what's your political party? What's your stance on this or that issue? What news station do you watch? Whatever. It's just, we're all here as members of a community. We're fellow human beings. We're going to enjoy this music. And I feel like that's an important job that music can do right now. I agree with you. And during lockdown, it was so nice that some of my favorite artists dropped new albums, even though they knew they wouldn't get to support them, you know, on the road and with touring. And you're one of those artists. Trouble and Strife is fantastic. Oh, thank you. I just loved it so much. And it was disappointing to me that I don't think that album got its due because of the situation. you know, it was either wait to release it or, you know, to, you know, for a time when we could go out on tour, which we didn't really know when that was going to be or put it out into the world. And, and for me, I felt like it was worth it to do that because it's, you know, as the title suggests, it's really a response to this very tumultuous time that we're living in. And the, the music is, I would say more, topical than any other songs that I've written. And I just felt like, you know, I'm, I'm a person who is a citizen and I can contribute in, in the ways that every citizen can, I can call my representatives, I can go to demonstrations, I can, you know, donate money to groups I believe in, but I also have, uh, you know, this platform as an artist. And I felt like it was 
really the moment to use that platform in a positive way. So for me, it wasn't really much of a, of a choice to hold the record back, even though we couldn't go on tour and support it like we normally do. It just felt like it was important for me, you know, to, to have it out there. And I love the album cover. I know that you did this album cover. It's uh, has a collage type aspect, much like relish did and mm-hmm. pretty cool. I love it. I love it. And I, yeah, I love the album and I, I know we're promoting a new album, but I wanted to give a shout out to that work also because it deserves it. Well, and, thank uh, you. Yeah. And that album kicks off perfectly with take it any way I can get it. I just love that song. So I've been driving unprotected striving oxygen depriving, but I keep surviving. I got to be dancing. Give me one more chance and try to take a stance and get a little romancing because I'll take it. Thanks. Yeah, we've been we've been getting a lot of great response from that. Now that we are doing some shows live, we're able to play that material from the Trouble and Strife record. And it's it's really, you know, that's that's such a charge to have new songs to play, to play them for your fans, to get the response. That song in particular, take it any way I can get it. We always get a big response to that. So that's, uh, you know, for me, that's like, ah, yes, at last. Now, here's where I compliment you. Your voice is still incredible since the first time I heard it 25 years ago, what do you do to keep the instrument intact? Well, it's really, you know, as you get older, it becomes more about just being disciplined. You know, I I can't do what I used to do of, you know, go out and have a bunch of drinks and uh, not sleep enough and, and uh, you know, roll out of bed and and get on stage and do it again the next night. I, I have to really, make sure I get enough sleep. I don't drink. I eat healthy foods. I do yoga every day. Uh, you know, I warm my voice up for an hour before I go on stage. So it's really, you know, at this point it's either do that or, or don't have the kind of, you know, voice that I want to have when I step out on stage, I want to make sure that I can, you know, sing these songs and, and do them justice. And when you have a bunch of people in the audience, who have these treasured memories of the way that you used to sing 25 years ago. I mean, it's not going to sound exactly like that. People's voices do change. And, and I think there's a richness in tone that I have now, which I didn't have back then, which I love. Um, but you also want to be able to bring your best to it. Right. Yeah. I mean, some artists, I was a little concerned about interviewing you on a show day because like I read an article that Art Garfunkel doesn't even talk during the day when he's on tour, he doesn't mm-hmm. talk at all. So Thankfully, you're not, you're, you don't have to do that, but I was concerned. I was like, oh no, wonder if this is going to affect uh, Joan tonight. When is sound check? Do you still do a sound check? Oh yeah, I still do a sound check. Uh, we're going to be loading our gear in at about three, three thirty, and sound check will start at four o'clock and, um, you know, we'll do a sound check for an hour or an hour and a half. We'll go through stuff. Maybe, uh, you know, some of the songs from this new record, we're trying to 
work those into the show. So we might rehearse those a little bit. And then we have a, about a four or five hour rest before we go on stage. And I try to eat very, very light. So I don't, you know, step out on stage with that heavy feeling right. and just, you know, chill out until then and, and then be ready to, to hit it. And, you know, it's, that's the great thing about doing music is even if you feel tired or you're, you know, you're cranky or you're upset about something or whatever, you know, life throws at you. Once you get on stage halfway through that first song, all of that stuff is unimportant. And it right. really, you really are able to get to that place of being your best self and having fun. And it's, it's a wonderful job for that. Well, I'm really enjoying the new album radio waves. It comes out February 18th, but I've been lucky enough to have it, you know, in advance because of this interview. Mm -hmm. um, when you would do a performance at a radio station, would people from all over the building, like clamor to try to see it, like people that work there? Uh, yeah, we would normally see, you know, when you're in a radio station, you're, you're in this, you know, as you know, very well, you're in this sort of cordoned off place and you have the little windows and you want the sound to be, uh, you know, very controllable. So, um, so we would see people sticking their heads in the tiny little windows or in the next studio over and kind of coming in and, and trying to watch. And yeah, I mean, I think that must be part of the great thing about working at a radio station. I would you're think able so, yeah. To, you're able to see the people that come in and, and uh, you're able to see the people that uh, you might not get a chance to see and in a way that you wouldn't see them. You know, you you go to a concert and maybe you're halfway back there and, uh, you know, you, you see that show, which is great. But to be able to be right next to somebody in that more intimate setting when they're doing an acoustic performance on the radio, that's a that's a whole different thing. Was this album your lockdown project? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, as you might imagine, being uh, unable to go out on the road, um, I did a lot of cleaning and, uh, <laughs> in my house. You know, I went, I was like, oh, here's this closet I've been meaning to clean out for the last seven years. I guess it's time now. So, no excuses. Uh, so, yeah. So I found all of these. Uh, you know, CDs and cassettes and files and this and that going back, you know, to like the 80s and stuff. Um, and uh, and I was like, well, I guess I ought to listen to these and went through, started to go through them. And I realized, especially for the stuff from the radio stations, that the audio quality was really, really high and that some of the performances were you know, I'm my own, my own worst critic, but some of the performances even I liked. So, um, so I thought, well, maybe this is something for the fans uh, to have because, um, you know, I don't have a, a whole batch of brand new songs ready to go into the studio. So maybe in the meantime, while I'm writing, this would be sort of a, a nice thing to, to put out there. And it did turn into a big project of listening through to all of these different things and the different versions of the same songs from different days and, and, uh, you know, hearing, I think, I think because I am my own worst critic, when I listen to something very fresh, like if I listen to something the next day, all I hear is the mistakes or the things that I wish I had done better, or, you know, some little tone that isn't quite right, or of course, you know, of I can course, be a bit yeah. of a perfectionist. But then when you add in, you know, 20 or 25 years, you're listening back to stuff it's kind of like looking at 
your old high school yearbook or something like back then you were like, Oh, I'm so ugly or I don't look like (laughs) this person or that person. And, and then you look back at it many years later and you're like, Oh, I was so cute. That's so sweet. You know, you, you have this whole different perspective on it. So I think I was able to appreciate um, what was great about all of these tracks without having that kind of little voice in my head of like, Oh, you should have done this or that. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And there's a, there's a couple demos on here too. So even though the fans may know all these other songs, you do a version of Dream a Little Dream. Mm-hmm. And I think you perfectly capture that old timey feel of the song. It's, it was almost like being in a time machine when I was listening to your version. Like I felt like I was in the 30s. It's pretty cool. Stars shining bright above you. Night breezes seem to whisper, I love you. Birds singing in the sycamore tree. Dream a little dream of me. Yeah, the uh, it, it is a song from that era. And I used to sing it to my daughter as a lullaby. And um, I thought, well, you know, this is a beautiful song. Maybe I should record it and do something with it. And I recorded it and then just kind of forgot that I had done that and uh, discovered it again in, in going through all these files. So, so I'm glad to see it again. I'm glad to have these little rarities and these things that, uh, you know, nobody's ever heard before getting out into the world. When you heard that uh, song, Dream a Little Dream, did you ever think about doing maybe a whole album of songs from that era? You know, I didn't. I was thinking about maybe doing a lullaby record for a while. And that's still one of those, you know, one of these days I'm going to get to it projects. Right. Um, And I think that's probably what I was thinking when I recorded that song, because as I said, I did used to sing my daughter to sleep with it. Um, But, uh, you know, that's... uh, that's another one for the someday I'll get to it list. You know? Right. Because you got a Christmas album. So yeah, let's do a, yeah, a lullaby Christmas album, lullaby album. There's, you know, there's so many, so many things that I would love to to do. And hopefully I'll get to at least most of them, if not all of them. Uh, Real Love is, I don't have the album credits in front of me or I didn't. Mm-hmm. Is that an original tune? No, that's actually a Toshi Regan song. Uh, Toshi Regan is this really incredibly talented singer and songwriter that I've known for you know many years. She's kind of East Coast based. And that was a song that I heard her do in one of her shows. We were on the same festival bill and I heard her do that song. And I was just like, wow, that's amazing. So I made a demo of it just to sort of try it out. And then, you know, things 
happened and I put the demo aside and I, you know, again, just sort of, I just kind of forgot that it existed uh, until I was digging through this stuff. And, and I was like, oh, that that's pretty cool. That sounds really good. Um, so yeah, that's a Toshi Regan song. She's, uh, if people don't know about her, they should definitely check her out. It's T-O-S-H-I-R-E-A-G-O-N, Toshi Regan. I'm just looking for some real love I'm just looking for some real love I'm tired and I'm looking for the real love Real love, real love, real love Can't you see me now? I'm looking for a real love Like a baby, I've been crying for the Real love. All night long and I've been dreaming about a real love, real love, real love, real love. Now, Ooh. I ain't talking about a chance liaison. And if you want to hear this song, you can go to YouTube and you can watch the video because you made a video for this song. What was it like to be back in front of the cameras making a video? <laughs> Well, that video, uh, the the performance footage in that video, uh, we shot that behind um, this venue that we were performing in. I guess it was back in June, maybe. We were able to do a handful of shows. And this was like, you know, it was like 11 o'clock at night. And it was a venue in Massachusetts near the coast. So there was this mist coming down. And we were using the headlights of our car as the lighting for it. And it was just, it was very down and dirty. You know, my, it's a guitar player, Jack used his iPhone to shoot it. And uh, you know, we had my iPhone playing back the song so I could lip sync to it. And it was, it was just very like, you know, what you would do if you're like a teenager or something, but um you know, again, I think because the the song itself was just a demo that I had done, it's not like a super slick production version. And we thought that that very kind of down and dirty way of, you know, DIY video might actually match it. So, so that's what I kind of like that about it. It looks great. I mean, it's amazing what you can do with your iPhone now. It's, it's really unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, back in the day, there was probably how many people would be on set of a music video and and you guys just nailed it with a couple of iPhones. Oh yeah. And you would spend, you know, $300,000 or something making a music video with this giant crew and this and that, and those expensive director and all that. And it's just, I, I don't know that there's a whole lot of people. I mean, if maybe if you're Beyonce, you can do that, but most people don't do that anymore. No, no. How much post-production was involved to make the songs from your closet Mm -hmm. uh, get to the album? Um, you know, just a little bit, really, not a ton. We have this great uh, engineer um, that we've been working with named Matt Shane, and he recorded the uh, the last record I did, the Trouble and Strife record. And, um, you know, I've been working with him as like a mixer and an engineer for a while. He's he's worked a lot with the Flight of the Concords guys and, yeah. and um, has gone on the road with them. Um, and, you know, there wasn't a lot that we could do because we didn't really have the multi tracks, you know, it was most of what we had was just, here's a rough mix that the engineer at the radio station made from that day. So you didn't have, okay, here's like 40 different tracks and you have to balance them and you have to mix them all and you have to create this other thing. That's, that was not 
really on the menu for this. Um, but because the quality of the recording was high and because it was the, a simpler kind of thing of, all right, you go into a radio station, you do your song live, you've been doing it on the road for you know weeks or months. So you have it pretty down your performance. Um, so it was a little bit different in, you know, compared to when you would record a, a song in a recording studio and you have all these tracks and maybe you're still learning the song or still writing it. Um, so there wasn't the opportunity for that much work to be done. But I think that was probably a good thing. And what what could be done, Matt was amazing at doing. And he took all of this material from, you know, from across a span of like 30 years almost, you know, and was able to um, make it all sound the same enough so that it, it sounds like it all creates one record and it all goes together. There's definitely a, a cohesion to it. It doesn't sound like like it's a, a patchwork of, of all different time periods. It really flows. So yeah. good job uh, on him. Yeah, yeah Matt um, Shane. He's an amazing, amazing guy. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, Rock Solid listeners, it's Pat Francis. And I'm here to tell you that we are stepping up our audio game with the new Shure MV7 podcast microphone. Now look, if you want to get the best audio out of your Zoom interviews, and I know you do, then you need to buy the MV7. It's perfect for podcasting, home recording, and gaming. It plugs right into the USB of your PC or your Mac, and it's ready to go. So take your sound to the next level with the Shure MV7 podcast microphone. You know what? I'm using it right now. Now back to the show. Let's go through some of the tracks in order. That'll lead me to jump off and talk about the albums that they came from a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, the first track is from 1995, KCRW from your album Relish, mm -hmm. uh, St. Teresa. Sitting down on the corner, just a little cry. And uh, I should say the multi-platinum album, Relish. Um, <laughs> you can say that, yeah. <laughs> now, I have to add this. I met my wife in 1995 when I first moved here. Mm -hmm. And this was the album that she was playing nonstop. And it was her favorite album then. And it's still her favorite album now. <laughs> I mean, look, look, I made her a coaster of the oh. album. <laughs> she, she just, she got a piano a year ago. This was what she bought first. Oh my gosh. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's always, uh, it's always a thing in our house. Joan Osborne's relish, but anyway, St. Teresa kicks off this album, much like it kicked off relish. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. uh, and this, this live version is fantastic. So, well, thank you. Um, it's, uh, 
it is from 1995 when from when the record first came out right and this was my first time uh playing in LA and coming out to the west coast um at you know I had really sort of built up a following um playing live around the northeast and and had been doing that for years before I even got a record deal but this was my first time coming out to LA to work and you know i was a little bit starstruck of you know you go down uh hollywood boulevard and sunset boulevard and i think there was literally a uh, you know a a giant uh billboard of the record sure. of the relish album on sunset boulevard as i was driving down to the radio station and i was just like oh my god <laughs> you know this is insane um so i i think i was pretty wide eyed and uh you know kind of bowled over by the whole thing um and even just sort of stepping into that radio station uh you know I, I had heard from all of my friends who were out in LA oh my god that's my favorite station oh this guy's amazing this dj and oh this is so great and and it felt like a real sort of um you know a, a step on the road to this bigger success which uh which was kind of sweeping us up in that moment well, my uncle at the time told me that he had seen you in like some really, really small, I don't know what kind of a venue it was. He said, and then a couple months later, he's like, oh, she's all over the radio. And this is the, that's the woman that we saw perform at whatever the venue. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, some that's little dive. Some little bar, dive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was trying not to say dive, but yes. Uh, hey, well, I've been in all the dives and, you know, that's, that's a legitimate thing to do. So I've. I don't feel insulted by that. <laughs> you paid your yeah, dues. Yeah, it that's did how happen. You paid your dues. Yeah, yeah, you do. And that's where you learn how to that's where you learn how to, you know, be in front of an audience and how to communicate with them and and I, you know, I kind of feel sorry for you know these people who are very young and go on these, you know, uh American Idol type shows and and uh have this sort of literally overnight success by winning a contest and they don't necessarily have those years of performing and and years of just kind of getting used to it all yeah. and getting to know themselves and and understanding what their own power is in that situation. So I I definitely played for years and years in places like that before I had that larger success and I I really feel like I, I would have you know it was definitely there were things about it that were over, overwhelming but I can't imagine having to deal with that without those years of uh, just, you know, sort of paying my dues and and understanding uh, how you communicate with an audience. So I'm I'm very grateful for all that time in those dives. And these uh, these American Idol winners, uh, a lot of times they're teenagers or just early 20s. And when you had success with Relish, you were already uh, old enough, but not old to, mm -hmm. you know, know how to navigate the waters a little bit, probably. And you've always mm -hmm. seemed to be an artist that seems like you've had a lot of control over your own destiny and your own career. Well, you know, I think, I think it's true. I think, you know, I, nobody discovered me when I was 17 years old and, and I, I never really was that kind of a pop singer. It's strange that the song, what if God was one of us was such a pop hit um, because I had come up uh, and really learned about singing from singing blues and and R and B and soul music and um, so I I think that was really my idea of what success is is you know looking at somebody like a BB King you know it's like right. that guy was able to just 
be amazing and slay and play for all these people for decades and decades. And to me, that was what it meant to be a success. And uh, so I, I feel like I had that long-term perspective um, in mind whenever things came up and whenever decisions had to be made, I would try to make them um, with that in mind of like, oh, here's this thing to do. Is this something that I'm going to be embarrassed about 10 years from now? Right. Is this something that is going to, uh, you know, make me this, you know, gigantic overnight sensation and then I'm gone a couple of years from now? Uh, you know, I, I never really was interested in that. I always wanted the, the longevity. You brought up one of us. So there is a version of that on the album. It's track six. It says it was recorded uh, Dutch Radio 2001. If God had a name, what would it be and would you call it to his face? If you were faced with him in all his glory, what would you ask if you had just one question? And yeah, yeah, God is great. Yeah, yeah, God is good. My question about one of us is because uh, you didn't write this song, Eric from the Hooters did. Yes. Is it a blessing or a curse to have that one song that you know you have to play every night? Because mm. you kind of do. Like if you didn't, people, they might be disappointed. Even though your catalog is so vast, mm -hmm. you still have this one you got to do somewhere. Yeah. Well, I think I, you know, there was a moment, I think, when that song became so huge and sort of eclipsed the other things on the record that I was like, well, wait a minute, there's all this other good stuff too. Um, but I soon realized that that song was the doorway into all this other material and into mm -hmm. all these other songs and into people coming to see the show live and right. getting a much deeper understanding of what, you know, what I'm about and what we were doing. And so I think it's the same thing now. I think, you know, that might be somebody's favorite song and that will get them in the door and get them to buy a ticket to come see the show. And then once they're in, then, you know, I've got a whole hour and a half to right. do whatever else it is that I want to do and to put on whatever kind of show that I want to put on. And so I'm, you know, so that's where I can uh, really make it into whatever I want to want it to be. And uh, so I think it's a real, it's an incredible blessing. And I, I even don't get tired of singing the song because, you know, if you're on stage and the first, you know, guitar melody comes up and everybody in the audience is like, Oh, you know, and they have this wonderful reaction of, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's wonderful. You know, that's not a bad feeling no. to have. You know, no. that's a pretty nice thing to do when you show up to work every night is to get that kind of feedback. So I'm I'm more than grateful. Cool. And look, if one of us is the song that gets people to finally hear right hand man, then so be it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And and uh, there's plenty of people who have come up to me at the autograph table after shows and been like, you know, I, I liked that one song first. And, but then the rest of the record, Oh, it just became, you know, this was now my favorite song. And then this other one. And, you know, so it, it is, 
uh, it was something that led people to the record as a whole and I think has kept them around. And, and then once they they saw what else was there, that's kept them around as long term yeah. fans. You know, absolutely. If they uh, if they didn't enjoy everything else that was there, they wouldn't keep coming. So that's yeah. great. So the second studio album, Righteous Love, uh, you have a, the second track on this album is My Love is Alive, which is from Righteous Love. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you about, and that's a Gary Wright, a cover of a Gary Wright song. Yeah. Classic Gary Wright song. Uh, your version is terrific. <laughs> It was five years between Relish and Righteous Love. Mm-hmm. Did the label want Relish number two? Because you didn't give them that. If yeah. that's what they wanted. <laughs> um, you know that that period of time was uh, was pretty difficult. I mean, the the first couple of years, I would say, after Relish came out, uh, you know, it was amazing. It was wonderful, and then the pressure to follow it up started to really, you know, ratchet up and. Um, not just from the label, uh, but also from me, you know, in, inside my own head. Uh, and I did, uh, you know, m- try and um, make what I thought was a, a good follow-up. And I did turn in a record to the to the label and they did say, no, we don't want this. We're not going to put this out go back to the drawing board. Um, so that was pretty, you know, that was a little devastating at that yeah. time. Um, but I also feel like, uh, you know, I think a lot of that, I think I, I kind of psyched myself out too. I wouldn't say that it was all, Oh, this evil record company made me do this or that. And, <laughs> right. you know, I, I think it was probably just as much my fault and me, uh, you know, being in this state of like, Oh, it has to be perfect and it has to be amazing. And it has to be, you know, this great work of art. And, and I think I, I paralyzed myself in that way. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it was great to be able to finally get into the studio to make the the Righteous Love record and to, to sort of finally be like, oh, all right, at last, this is something that I feel good about putting out. This is something that somebody wants to put out. You know, it may not be relish to, it may not be what everybody wants it to be, but it's something, you know, and, and I can not be stuck in this sort of limbo for the rest of my life. And I right. can, you know, go back out and, and do some stuff, you know. Well, Righteous Love's a great album, and uh, well, whatever whatever was going on, you 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 nailed it again. Track four, "How Sweet It Is," it's from your covers album. Mm-hmm. How sweet it is! I actually prefer this live version to the studio version. How sweet it is to be loved by you, baby. How sweet it is to be loved by 
I think there's in a, in a lot of these more live versions, um, you know, there's different sort of shades of meaning that we worked our way into from performing these songs so many times. Yeah. Um, you know, when, as I said, when you're in the studio and you're laying something down, it might be the first or second time you've ever sung it. And, um, you know, there's something cool about that, about just what do you bring to it? You know, when you are, when you're really fresh and it's your first impression um, it's kind of like, what's your first impression on meeting someone, you know, but then after you get to know them for a while and you become friends, that's a different kind of relationship. And it's similar to a song after you've gotten to know a song and you performed it a lot, you might find different shades of meaning. You have done it in front of audiences and you know what parts are connecting with the audiences and what are not. And uh, so it's, I think it has a richness to it when you have a live version of a song that you've performed a lot. That's, you know, it's not necessarily better, but it's, it's different. And there's something really cool about that as opposed to uh, a studio version. And it's uh, it's not a beat like James Taylor's cover of this song is this this one your version is very haunting and it it does take on a whole new meaning the lyrics just feel like they mean something completely different uh, when I hear your version so well thanks I mean that's you know I've certainly knew the James Taylor version and I certainly knew the original Motown version right and that to me is like how what do you do when you have a song that people are so familiar with you don't want to just do it like somebody else has already done it because then what's the point you want to find your way into it and sort of crack the code of, you know, what, what hasn't been discovered about this song yet? What, what can I bring to it? That's unique to me that will unlock it in a certain way that allows these different shades of meaning to come forward. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear you say that. Oh, well, I only say it because it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Track five is Shake Your Hips, written by Slim Harpo. Uh, I've never heard his version. I'm familiar with the Rolling Stones' Exile on Main Street version. Mm -hmm. And um, I never realized until listening to your version that Slim Harpo checked name checked himself. Oh yes. In his lyrics. (laughs) I never, I've never heard that when Mick is singing it, but uh, you know, so I, I love it. Slim hop on. She didn't move her head. She didn't move her hands. She didn't move her lips. Just shook her head. Do the hip shake, baby. Do the hip shake, baby. Shake your hips, baby. Shake your hips, baby. Do the hip shake, baby. Do the hip shake, baby. Shake your hips, baby. Shake your hips, baby. Well, ain't that easy? What's more difficult, writing your own words and recording them or interpreting 
a classic song that we've known and loved for years? Uh, I mean, I think there, you know, I think obviously if you pick a song that already exists, then, um, you know, there's, there's something easier about that. Cause you don't have to make it up. Right. Um, you, you can choose a song from any of the millions of songs that have been, you know, written and, and recorded and you can, you know, pick whatever you want. And so there is something really great about that. Um, but, you know, sometimes, um, being able to write something of your own, it's just, you know, sometimes they just kind of fall out of the sky and sometimes it is easy. Um, not all the time. And you have to kind of make sure that you show up in your writing process so that when something falls out of the sky, you're there to catch it, you know, <laughs> because if you're like off doing something else or watching TV or playing candy crush or something, it, you know, it's not going to fall on you. It's going to fall on somebody else. Um, but, but I, I think, Yes, it's easier to pick a song that's already written, but if you can write a song, which I certainly love to do, and you can get it to your own satisfaction, there's there's nothing like that. I mean, that that's that's wonderful. Okay, moving on to track eight, Little Wild One, recorded at KBCO in 2008. This was the title track from your album, Little Wild One. Mm -hmm. And for that album, the gang kind of got back together. Rick Chertoff, Rob Hyman, Eric Bazilian. How did that collaboration come about 12 years after mm -hmm. Relish? Uh, you know, I think it... I think it was just that we were all kind of ready to do it again because um, after the, the initial sessions for Relish and after that record became so successful, those guys got a ton of offers for work as a production team and as a writing team. So they were completely booked solid. I was booked solid on the road and, you know, performing and, and, you know, traveling around the world and singing with Blue Channel Pavarotti and, you know, this one and that one. So, so I was in another you know, space doing stuff. And, you know, our, our worlds didn't really align again until after a lot of that had calmed down. And I think I also maybe was interested to see, you know, what else, you know, who else can I work with and what else can I do? Right. Um, but I really did enjoy working with those guys. And at that point we all sort of, you know, looked at each other and were like, Hey, could we do this again? Or, you know, what's your schedule? Like, what's your schedule? Like, Oh yeah, I think we could. Well, Hey, let's give it a try. And, you know, we got together and started doing some stuff and then, uh, and we just, we liked what we were doing and it really just sort of was like, Oh, okay, well, let's keep doing it. And here we go. Here's another record. Well, and little wild one again, that's another album I would tell people to seek out because it's another one that I don't feel like got 
enough, uh, enough radio player, enough do at the time. So that's the great thing. You can always go back and find these records people. So please do. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that I try to think about now, you know, when I make a record, you know, I'm not in the position anymore of like, oh, this is records going to sell millions of copies or, uh, you know, it's, there's going to be videos all over MTV or whatever. That's, you know, that's not really my current reality, but I think about it in terms of, you know, what is your body of work? And if someone, you know, picks up a record, whether it's relish or whether it's bring it on home or whatever it is and becomes a fan, then what else do they have, you know, to discover about you? What else are you leaving? You know, what, what other breadcrumbs are you leaving on that trail for people to pick up? And, um, and so that's what I try to think about is like, how is, how's this going to fit into this larger body of work that is kind of waiting for people to discover? Well, there's a lot of breadcrumbs out there then is what we're saying. (laughs) So go pick them up people. What's the next song? Make you feel my love. It's a Bob Dylan song. Yeah. That was originally done for Righteous Love. When the rain is blowing on your face And the whole world is on your case I could offer you a warm embrace To make you feel my love had an affinity for Bob Dylan music ever since relish you did. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Yeah. Man in a long black coat. Yeah. Man in a long black coat. And then you eventually in 2017, you do a whole album of Dylan covers appropriately titled songs of Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. When did you first discover Bob Dylan at what age? You know, that's a, people have asked me that I, I would be hard pressed to remember like a particular thing about that. I think it, it's like Bob Dylan has just so, you know, he, he's one of these people that it it seems like he was always there, you know, his influence is so huge. Um, and not only him as an artist himself, but all the other people that he influenced and, uh, you know, it, so it's kind of feels like, Oh, he always existed. You know, right. so I would have a hard time pinpointing the moment that I was like, Oh, who's that? Oh, it's Bob Dylan. Oh. Um, but you know, I do, I do remember when I started to do music more seriously in my twenties and I was playing in these, you know, these blues clubs and, and uh, there are a lot of cover versions of Bob Dylan songs done by blues artists. And, you know, I started to listen to him more and then I was trying to write songs on my own. So of course, he's one of the first people that you think about when you think about who are the great songwriters that you want to learn from. So I I started to make more of a study of what he was all about and, and the songs that he wrote. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, he's one of these great geniuses like a Pablo Picasso or a, a William Shakespeare. You know, you can start to learn about what he's doing when you're a younger person, but then you can keep coming back, even just as a listener or as someone who's trying to learn about songwriting and 
and go deeper and learn more and more and more. So he's somebody that I have periodically, you know, checked in with. And and as you say, at a certain point, I, I just did a super deep dive and we did a whole record of his songs. And, you know, I've, I've even had the amazing uh, honor to sing with him. And that was a whole other, you know, crazy thing, you know, to do. Um, So I guess he's just uh, one of these artists that I'm always going to feel connected to. And he's still here and he's still recording and he's still touring. Exactly. That's you definitely tell people that you can still go buy a ticket to see Bob Dylan live. And I've seen him many times live over, you know, in recent years. uh, And he's incredible. You know, he doesn't sound like he used to on the records, but he's got this whole other thing going on and the shows are amazing. So do yourself a favor and don't wait because he, you know, none of us are here forever, but go out and see him now. I'm pretty sure he just announced new tour dates uh, for March and April today. I think I read. So I think it's the rough and rowdy ways tour. So go see it. Nice. All right. The, uh, the new album radio waves closes out with three songs that were all featured on how sweet it is your covers album. Did you purposely want to close out with these in the sequencing like this from this or just work out that way? No, it's, uh, you know, sequencing a record is, you know, there's a lot of instinct that goes into it. You know, you want to set a particular mood. You want, you know, you want to make sure that uh, each song sort of uh, transitions from one to the next in a way that isn't too jarring. And, you know, I don't think I, I purposely said, oh, I want to make sure that, you know, the last three songs are from a particular record. It's just, you take them song by song and you string them together like, you know, like an editor will string shots in a movie or something just to try to make the story make sense. All right. And uh, you cl- these last three songs, you got a Dave Mason song, Stevie Wonder song and a Sly Stone song. So you can't really go wrong closing an <laughs> album out like that with uh, with Joan Osborne singing those songs. Everybody is a star. You can rain and chase the dust away. Everybody All right. Let me tell people where they can find you on social media, Joan. Twitter, you're at Joan underscore Osborne. Instagram, yes. at Joan underscore Osborne. And website, JoanOsborne.com. It couldn't be easier. Super simple. Yeah. Super simple. Uh, thank you for doing this, Joan. And my last question to you, I always end the show with a playout song. And I always ask the artist to choose any song from their career or from the new album mm-hmm. you would like me to feature as the play out song for this episode? Uh, let's see. I, I would like to pick something from the new record and I, I'm going to go with like the most rocking thing that is on there, which is the um, my love is alive. All right. So everyone, February 18th, go buy this album. It's called radio waves. When Joan comes to your town, go see her on tour and please enjoy 
My love is alive. Thank you so much, Joan Osborne. Thank you. Say hi to your wife for me. I will. I asked her to pop in and say hello. And she said, I'm too embarrassed. I can't do it. (laughs) What's her name? Her name's Pilar. Say hi to Pilar for me. I will do it.